Hello and welcome to episode 208 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan and today I am joined by the man you know, the man you love, the translucent analytics savant. It is Mike Leone. How's it going, buddy? I swear you have some sort of setting on Zoom to make me look translucent. I feel like when I'm on StreamYard, I'm pretty good. And then mm-hmm. we, get, we get on Zoom and I, I'm, I'm back to being a ghost. Look at me. I am a bronze Adonis. For you guys watching on YouTube, <laughs> this is what a bronze Adonis looks like. On today's show, we are going to talk about the differences in strategy between best ball leagues and managed leagues. And I think it's obviously a valuable topic if you're playing both. But even if you're only playing a standard season-long managed team, which I know a lot of you guys are, I think there's a lot of important points to understand here. Given that we have to pick our starting lineup each week, that we have access to waivers, that we can churn our bench, that we can have a different roster construction and manage. We should think about all that and how the strategy should change. We're going to talk about all that today. Before we get into today's show, I wanted to remind everyone the program is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy. It is best ball season. Underdog, undoubtedly, the best platform. For details on our promos with them, it's basically literally free money. Please take it. Head to the best ball tab on the site and look for the how to claim your underdog credit link. Don't miss out on free money. Also, wanted to remind everyone that the glory that is NFL preseason DFS is nearly upon us. Details on our package and pricing for that will be up on the site very soon. I actually expect to have it up by the time this podcast is released. So stay tuned on Twitter and the site for that. All right, let's get into it, Leonie. We're going to divide this into four kind of broader topics here. The first point to make should be the most obvious one, I think, to most people. In managed leagues, we have access to waivers. And if you're listening to this podcast, I hope, I assume that you're pretty hardcore and you're going to be grinding waivers pretty hard each week. It is a huge, huge difference. So what's the first thing you think of, Leone, by having access to waivers that makes a difference from best ball, where obviously draft only, no waivers? I think right off the bat, it changes how we approach the running back position a little bit. Running backs tend to be somewhat overvalued in general in in all formats, but I think that's particularly the case in managed leagues versus best ball. In best ball, it's a bit more important to get some floor out of your RB1 to take one or two running backs early and solidify that position because we don't have waivers, as you mentioned, to churn through a lot of uh, you know zero RB candidates, we call them, or guys that might step into roles due to injury or just unexpected depth charts, just how those play out. In the course of the season in a managed league, you know, between all the running backs I draft and cycle through in waivers, you know, I might have touched like 20 plus running backs on a roster. Whereas in best ball, I'm rarely ever getting to more than six and I'm stuck with those six for the duration of the season. So if I'm really weak at those and we know late round running backs, they have upside because if they step into volume, that's all that matters. But when they don't hit that upside, the injury doesn't happen in front of them or the role doesn't work out that way. They have incredibly low floors. So there's a really big difference in waivers in that regard. And also in the number of running backs you can roster right off the bat. Yeah. So the first thing that I think of when, you know, people want to talk about running backs and managed league, people underestimate the chaos that is going to happen in a season uh, at the running back position. There's not going to be a trade or a waiver pickup at the wide receiver position that's going to bump Calvin Ridley out of his role or going to bump some other round two, round three, round four, round five wide receiver out of his role. It's just not going to happen. We see it all the time where round two, three, four running backs 
So they sign some guy off the street and it affects his role massively and, and you lose the usage. So that's one thing. I mean, people massively underestimate the chaos. We know about the injury rates and running back also. One point I would make about this though, Leone, is that I mean, you have to be willing to grind waivers, right? Like if you're going to yes. take a zero RB strategy and manage, if you're going to not punt, but if you're going to de-emphasize the running back position and manage, I mean, you got to be a virgin and be out there every Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whenever your waivers run and be out there grinding. I'm personally not that up for that anymore in this point of my life. I know most people listening to it just probably are though. You got to reach out, get some ETR discord members to grind your waivers <laughs> for you. But I did want to bring up some examples too, though, as far as the difference between leagues last year, like zero RB, if you played in a managed league, you had access to Mike Davis in waivers, JD McKissick, Miles Gaskin, uh, James Robinson, like these guys in best ball leagues, these were the zero RB winners and they weren't even drafted in half of best ball mm-hmm. league. So, you know, there really is a pretty gargantuan difference. Okay. Any other points on waivers before we move on in terms of differences? Uh, well, I, one other thing that I would point out, I don't know if you want, you agree with this, but streaming at tight end and quarterback. So we've talked a lot about quarterback and tight end and how we like having an elite guy. We like having a running and thrower type of guy. But if you don't in a single QB 10 team league and a single QB 12 team league, there's going to be a lot of streamers on waivers each week, especially at quarterback. And like, what's the difference between like, I don't know. Is there a huge difference between um, Dallas Goddard and Blake Jarwin or somebody that's on waivers in a single tight end league? You know, maybe there is, I don't know, but either way, like you have ability to stream, which I think at the onesie positions makes a big difference. Yeah. And I think if we want to like tie this into the, general roster construction and how many guys you're rostering at each position based on the different formats, it plays into that. You know, if you're doing an FFPC football guys championship, for example, it's 20 rounds, let's say it's 18 without kicker and defense. So it's the same amount of rounds as best ball, but you might legitimately take one quarterback and one tight end because of what you're saying. And then that flows into your other decisions. You know, if you're doing zero RB, then you can draft, you know, eight, nine running backs maybe, and just hope that you hit on one of them. Whereas in best ball, you need to obviously draft more than one player at the onesie positions because you need those distributions to work out in your favor. You can't take the risk of taking zeros on injury weeks. You have to cover bye weeks. So that 18 round draft, you know, now you're taking maybe five players at the onesie position, you know, two at quarterback, three at tight end or something. And that gives you 13 other roster spots to work with in best ball versus in managed. You've got 16 roster spots to go to running back receiver. So there's a big difference there. And that, you know, is a starker difference than it might seem on its face. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So waivers, obviously, when you have access to waivers, we're de-emphasizing running back at least a little bit. And we also have access to streaming at the onesie positions if we don't go elite there. Second thing I want to talk about is roster construction. We've talked a lot about roster construction in best ball and how we like to do it. You guys can watch any of the streams. There's so many videos on YouTube. There's articles on the site by Leonie and Herzig and myself about roster construction on best ball. I don't think people think as much about their roster construction to manage. They just get to them. They take best player available a ton. What would you tell people about managed leagues and roster construction versus best ball? Yeah, it's really important to kind of know where you're strong and where you're weak. And where you're weak, you really want to stockpile stashes that could be big hits and really have breakout seasons. And you talk about that running back position. If you're not drafting running backs early, if you're doing zero RB or even just an anchor RB where maybe you draft a running back in the first round, but you don't draft one again until 
the 10th round, it's much more important to take a running back stash that has some upside, like a Darrington Evans in case Derrick Henry gets hurt or something versus a second tight end that doesn't, you know, really move the needle that much. It might feel safe at the draft. You're like, Oh, I got my bye week covered. I got two tight ends. I got two quarterbacks, but it really doesn't do anything for you. There are some instances where I'll take two quarterbacks. If I'm taking, you know, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, and I want to pair them with someone who has a good schedule out of the beginning of the season. But if I'm taking, you know, Joe Burrow, I'm starting Joe Burrow every single week in a managed league. I do not need a backup quarterback. I will get one when the time comes. You do not want, a backup quarterback, you're not going to play wasting away a bench spot that even if it's a low probability hit on a stashed wide receiver, a stashed running back, those low probability hits add up. And it's important that you always have a live roster and give yourself as many outs as possible to just getting lucky. I think people overestimate the trade market, right? They're like, well, I'll take two really good quarterbacks. And then when I only need one, I'll just trade one. You don't realize that A, you're relying on your teammates, to, your league mates to trade with you. B, in a one in a one QB league or in a one tight end starting league with no premium, they're just not that valuable on the trade market, right? Like people are just like, oh, I'll just trade one. It's just not going to happen. It never happens. It, in theory, it sounds good. You feel like you got this value and you, it, it, it just never works out, especially as I think even, you know, more casual 12 team leagues are getting a little bit sharper in one quarterback leagues. You know, 10 years ago, I was in leagues where guys were taking four quarterbacks and it was out of control. Yeah. And that happens less frequently now, you know, throughout my leagues. Um, anything about wide receivers with roster building? We're, we're relying so heavily in best ball on wide receivers. We're taking nine, we're taking 10. We're trying to take six in like the first eight rounds to have access to the ceiling. What about wide receivers in managed leagues? Are you placing as big an emphasis on wide receivers uh, in your roster construction there? I like to take more early, but less total in managed leagues. And I really want every receiver in a managed league I take to have the type of upside where they become a very clear start. And I'm trying, especially in leagues that have three wide receiver spots and a flex, I'm trying to win the third wide receiver spot and win the flex, like really pick up points on my opponents. And in order to do that, you need to start drafting receivers very early. You need like six wide receivers in the first eight or nine rounds because there's going to be busts, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be bye weeks. And you want to be starting four pretty obvious receivers every week. So I'm really focused on getting them early. In best ball, I still want some access to elite wide receiver ceiling, but I can make up for that a little bit because I don't have to decide who to start. You know, you can make up for it with quantity over quality to an extent because the week to week variance at the wide receiver position is a little bit higher than it is at running back. If you look at the correlation from ADP to season long performance, running backs and wide receivers are somewhat close. If you look at it to weekly performance, the correlation is lower for wide receivers. And that's just because, you know, it's more dependent on big plays and whatnot. And you can take advantage of, guys that are going to see the field beyond the field that you wouldn't necessarily start in a managed league, but you get those guys on your roster every now and then, you know, they're going to have a 580 in one day and that's really good. And that's going to crack your roster. So I care more about getting that quantity in best ball. And whereas in managed, I really want the high end quality as much as possible. I really want a lot of wide receivers early. Not that I won't draft wide receiver early in best ball, but I'm prioritizing it more in managed. Yeah, for sure. And for people using our rankings, how should they think about best ball versus managed with the wide receiver position? Because like if, if it gets to me in 
managed leagues, I think I'm way more likely to use a round one pick on Diggs and Tyreek and Devonta Adams and guys like that than I would be in best ball, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And our rankings, we do as best we can to kind of show that in our rankings. You'll see Stefan Diggs a little bit higher in our standard PPR rankings than he is in the DraftKings best ball rankings or the underdog best ball rankings. Now, it's hard to sort of separate the types of wide receivers we're targeting. And this is where you kind of need some common sense at the back end of drafts. Um, and we'll get into types of players to target in a second here. Mm-hmm. So like the back end of draft, you kind of need some common sense what format you're doing, but our ranks really should try to help you earlier where we are propping up the receivers a little bit more and managed versus in best ball. And, you know, that's, that's okay. Be okay. Taking stuff on digs in round one and, and managed. Uh, I want to talk about transition to the fact that in managed leagues, you have to pick your starting lineup each week. People underrate this, that predictability, that um, correlation between uh, how often a guy is started and how often he performs well is really important in managing. And so as we get to the quarterback position, and by the way, I really encourage everybody to listen to Establish the Edge with Leone and JJ talking about the quarterback position for this year and how it has changed or if it has changed at all. But what I would say is that not only has the ceiling on the top six, seven, eight guys gone absolutely nuclear because they're such good throwers and such good runners, but also the predictability has uh, increased also. So when I have to set my lineup each week, I mean, my God, how is somebody, if I'm starting Josh Allen and they're starting Kirk Cousins, I mean, my God, they're drawing like stone dead, right? So how are you changing quarterback thoughts on best ball versus managed? Yeah. The big difference is really at the back end of the quarterback position. It's interesting the way the ADPs have shaken out that I've seen so far, at least, even though we're drafting more quarterbacks in best ball and thus the scarcity changes because we're drafting, you know, 28 quarterbacks get selected in best ball versus in management might only be like 18 to 20 because teams Mm -hmm. just don't necessarily need backup quarterbacks. It feels like the first 16 to 18 quarterbacks, like those draftable quarterbacks, the ADP has been somewhat similar between best ball versus managed. I think, so I think what happens is there's just a little bit more focus in best ball on those back outside of those top 18 QBs. Like who are you targeting? And, you know, there's guys like Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold, for example, has a good early season schedule. So he's someone I'll pair if I've taken a couple of rookie quarterbacks like Lance and Fields in best ball. And you're taking a little bit more chances there. As far as early in the draft, again, it doesn't change a whole ton. I do think there are pockets in the draft in both best ball and managed where you want to target upside at the quarterback position. It's going to be harder to manufacture upside at QB position in managed leagues via streaming, it's harder than it's ever been before to just make up for that via streaming and playing matchups. And in best ball, likewise, it's harder to make up for that quarterback upside with three guys late. Whereas in the past, maybe you could take in three guys late that are, you know, a Ben, a Darnold, and uh, a Derek Carr, like these pocket pass without upside, but their distributions used to work together. Okay. Now they're not matching those elite quarterbacks. So like round six, you've got five to six, you've got the Dak, Kyler, Josh Allen, those types. I think those are options I'm looking at there in both leagues and rounds eight to nine, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, they have that big ceiling. And then when you get in the teens rounds, it's guys like Matt Ryan, Tannehill and all the rookie quarterbacks, I think. So actually not like a huge difference in how I'm approaching my first QB in best ball versus managed. Okay. But I do think that 
there is a difference when you have to set your own lineup at other positions, right? Because like, I know that X player is going to have some big games this year. Picking out when they are going to do so can be really hard, especially at tight end, especially a wide receiver, you know, especially a tight end where it's so touched on the man. Like Mo Ali Cox is going to have big games this year. I don't know when they're going to be. Now in best ball, I don't have to worry about it, right? When Mo Ali Cox has a big game, he's in my lineup. In, in managed, I mean, he could be on my bench for all his big games this year easily, right? So how do you, how do you leverage that or how do you think about that with having to set your lineups? Yeah, the Mo Ali Cox example is a good one. I think at the tight end position, if you're taking three tight ends, you can take two very late tight ends. I did this in FFPC best ball where I took Mo Ali Cox and OJ Howard, guys that have been pretty efficient in terms of yards per route run, yards per target, that type of stuff. We just don't know when they're going to run a lot of routes or when they're going to get targeted. Not having to decide and being able to take a couple of them together helps us. As far as the running back position goes, you know, I want a mix of different archetypes of running backs in best ball, you know, especially if I'm, especially on the teams, if I'm RB light early in best ball, I'm going to need to mix in some Naheem Hines and JD McKissick types that are going to give me some floor with the Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, Daryl Henderson types who have this huge ceiling, but on any given week are like 50, 50 to be sub five point fantasy points and just absolutely drill your lineup. Whereas in managed, if I'm stockpiling running backs, I almost solely care about upside. You know, maybe I get one to two startable guys, but beyond that, I'm just making upside bet after upside bet because I can churn through those and it's going to be obvious who I'm going to start on a given week. And um, so that's the difference there. And then at wide receiver, it goes back to that quantity versus quality thing. Again, you just want to take advantage of the variance of the position in best ball, which is why I actually draft more wide receivers in best ball than I do in managed because anybody who's going to see the field and see targets can crack that best ball starting lineup. Yep. Okay. Last thing we're going to talk about is types of players. So it's become like a joke on fantasy football Twitter where people say, Oh, you know, I'll only take him in best ball or he's better in best ball. And I, I, I honestly hate when people say that so, so, so much. And I think a lot of people don't even know what they're saying. A lot of times they just think that like, oh, the Deshaun Jackson types or the T.Y. Hilton types who have really wide distributions are better in best ball. Maybe that's true, uh, but I don't think that people think it through fully enough when they say, oh, X guy is better in best ball. I think what they're trying to say is that it's unpredictable and so therefore he's better. But man, I mean, you know, guys that are boring can be really good in best ball too. And there's some guys that we're going to talk about who I, you know, like I would never be excited to draft, but you lean a lot of usable weeks in best ball. So when you think of types of players for each format, what are you thinking about? Yeah, I just, I'll give the market a little bit of credit in terms of sometimes these mid-round wide receivers, mid-early, you know, if I'm taking Robbie Anderson versus Brandon Ayuk, I might say, okay, Brandon Ayuk or a Will Fuller type has more spike week potential. And that's generally what people mean when they say better in best ball. And I think in that range, it makes sense to focus on ceiling. I think as we get later in the draft, though, people have a tendency to over-focus on like this 99th percentile upside case for players mm-hmm. in best ball. Whereas I think it should be the opposite. I think we should be focusing on those really high upside, but maybe unlikely to hit guys and managed because we can just drop them. And generally we're not using those players later in the draft in our starting lineup anyways, until it becomes very obvious. So I think the upside shifts to being a higher priority in managed leagues, whereas in best ball, guys that are just going to see the field consistently, 
and rack up points, you're sort of playing to hope that you get a ton of those guys and the distributions kind of net out. You don't have any waivers. You only have 18 roster spots in most of the big best ball tournaments, whether it's underdog or FFPC. You can't be wasting three, four roster spots, taking wild swings on guys that don't have any type of role. So players like I don't know, a Russell Gage, for example, he has a really defined role is going to see, you know, a high teens target share for a team like Atlanta that throws a lot, not a super exciting player, not someone I'm probably going to stick in a high upside managed league roster, but he's, his weeks over the course of his 17 week season are going to count quite a lot for me in my best ball lineup. Whereas in managed, you know, I'm probably done with receiver a little bit earlier, And then the guys I am taking at the back end of a draft have a ton of uncertainty. I love the uncertainty there where I'll take stabs on the rookie wide receivers, you know, Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, who, you know, they're good in all formats, but particularly in managed where I'm hoping that they hit that really 90th plus percentile outcome. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I just don't care that much. Yeah. And one thing about these best ball drafts, you see guys that are quote unquote boring, which I agree with. And I've been hard on them. A lot of them are older guys and stuff like that. Slot receivers, et cetera they slip. I mean, they slip really far and guys who are like, people are excited about, you know, Nicole Hardman and you mentioned some other guys, Henry Ruggs and guys like this, people envision 99th percentile outcomes for them. And they get really excited about it in best ball. Maybe it should be the opposite. So like even something like AJ green, like we talked on market Monday, a couple weeks ago about AJ green. And I was like, God, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm excited about AJ green, but he he's going in like the 16th, 17th round. And AJ Green is going to have usable weeks for you. This whole concept of usable weeks for best ball, it's kind of counterintuitive, but I think I agree with you that usable weeks in best ball for swing for the fences and managed actually makes more sense. And when those weeks come, you know, is a big difference. Obviously, if you're playing in the big tournaments in basketball, there's a little bit more priority on the last three weeks of the season. But to even get there and to get out of your league, weeks one through 14, you know, week one counts the same as week 14 and you got to be top two out of your 12 to advance. Whereas a managed league, you know, a lot of times six out of 12 teams are making the playoffs and it's a little bit more manageable to make the playoffs. And you just want this monster roster come the time that you make the playoffs. So that also feeds into like zero RB teams or rookie running backs and those types of things do better in managed leagues because they ascend throughout the course of the season. Your roster might be a little bit fragile to start, but it's going to be really good at the end. Whereas best ball, like having good weeks right out of the gate, it, it counts, you know, it matters a little bit more than it does relative to a managed league. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great points. Okay. we talked about AJ Green. So I think that's our cue to cut it off for <laughs> today. Uh, yeah. I think this is really interesting, really interesting stuff. And thinking about roster construction and how a managed league goes is something there's not a lot of analysis about. There's a ton of analysis about best ball. There's not as much about managed leagues. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Be sure you're following Leone on Twitter at two hats, one Mike. Be sure you are subscribed to the Establish the Edge podcast. By the way, this is being simulcast on Establish the Edge. So shout out to all the Establish the Edge uh, listeners out there. Hi, how are you? Continue. The things with Gretch are so good too. Shout out to Gretch for doing the pods with you. They're going full virgin status, player by player on 1% differences in market share. So be sure. Can I say one more thing? I guess I I, I kind of forgot to say. Go ahead. Am I, or I, or I just can totally botch your outro. Sorry, no, you, you're ahead. a professional. You'll deal with it. <laughs> well, we talked about like the quarterbacks, like in roster construction, but the tight ends, like I definitely prioritize the elite tight end and best ball a little bit more. Like I said, quarterbacks doesn't make a big difference for me, but tight ends, it really does because it's really hard to you know make up for a Kelsey type upside 
you know, with three tight ends, you know, you just kind of can't yeah. make up for that distribution. So I, I probably, and because I know I can make up for receivers with ball quantity, at least like my back end receivers, I'm taking Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson at the five, six turn. I'm not doing that in a managed league. I'm doing it in a best ball league. Yeah. And best ball, I've been taking Waller or Kittle at like the late second round almost every time this year. Um, so yeah, not in managed. Yeah, league. I, I don't, I don't know if I would take the like in a managed league. I don't know if I would take them over, you know, AJ Brown late second. Right. Whereas best ball, I'm kind of, I think it's pretty easy decision to take, you know, Kittle or Waller there. Right. No doubt. Okay. Now it's really over. <laughs> Check out Established Edge. Check out at Two Hats One Mike on Twitter for producer Luke. For Jerry, for Leone, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.